Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Oh, hello there, dear bookworm, and welcome to a brand new series of Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddo, and I shall be the referee in a war of the words a bit later on as my two guests go head to head, pitching a book they love and feel that everyone should read. And the two wordy warriors heading into battle on this episode are both journalists turned authors, and it's a very warm welcome to Lena Slimany and Stacey Halls. Hello. Hello. Hi. Lovely to see you both. Thank you for braving the cold weather. Thank you for coming all the way over from France, Layla. I mean, obviously it wasn't just for me, but we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Stacey, your debut novel, The Familiars, has just come out. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, we'll talk more about The Familiars very shortly. And Layla, Adele has just been published here in the UK, which although is new to us, this is actually your first novel. Exactly, it? yeah. Published in 2014 in France. In France. So is it is it a bit strange now going back to it and talking about it after all these years? Not really because um, the British or the Americans have a different way of reading it. So for me it's all new. <laughs> <laughs> and having re reread it possibly, have you noticed anything in the past four years that Yes, of you. course, a lot of flows and I want to correct it and to <laughs> make it better. And also I'm wondering who, where is the woman who wrote this book? Because I think this woman is probably dead. So uh, I wonder who I was at that time. Because <laughs> it was 2014 published, but when would you have actually started writing that? 2013. It okay, took me so like it was... only six months, I think, to, to write the book. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's pretty quick in my opinion. Would you say, Stacey, I don't know, how long did it take you to write The Familiars? Oh, it took me seven weeks to write, <laughs> <laughs> to write the first draft. But that was by no means the published, what's been published. No. So, yeah. And also, th this is quite a, a heavily researched book in the sense of, uh -huh. of your fascination. Just t tell us a little bit about what the book's about and also your fascination with where it all started. Yeah, so The Familiars is uh, it's a novel set during the Pendle Witch Trials um, of 1612 and it's set in Lancashire, which is where I'm from. So I kind of grew up always with this knowledge of the Pendle Witches and got the idea to write a novel about them. Um, I think it was about two and a half years ago now, I went to um, a stately home a few miles from where my parents live in Lancashire called Gawthorpe Hall. And it was there standing at the window in Gawthorpe Hall, looking out of the window, I could see Pendle Hill. And Pendle Hill is synonymous with the witches and the witch trials. So in 1612, 12 people were accused of witchcraft, sent to trial, and 10 of them were executed. One of them was found not guilty. One died in prison. Um, 
so standing in Gawthorpe Hall, seeing this hill, I thought, oh, maybe I, maybe I could write something set in this house about the witches, but told from the point of view of someone who was kind of on the periphery of it, always on the outside, but knew one of them. So that's where I got the idea. And then I started to do research pretty soon after that. Asked to take, I work as a journalist, so asked to take um, a sabbatical from work. So I took two months off work. Knew I had a pretty tight deadline because I thought if I don't finish in if I don't finish the first draft by the end of this two months, then I'm it's going to take me forever. So yeah, it was a pretty intense period of research <laughs> and writing. I was trying to do two thousand words a day, and some days I, to be honest, I'd do like two hundred and just hate myself. Oh yeah, but, but you know <laughs> you've got to give yourself a break. Once yeah, in a while, exactly. It's it was so intense and it was difficult, but it seemed to be what worked. For, it seemed to work for me quite well in the doing end. it in that sort of concentrated doing it in time. that concentrated period yeah. yeah didn't leave the house um wow. was sort of shunting between my flat and the british library um to research the about the witches and also what life was like in the 17th century because mm. i had no idea yeah so it was a pretty intense <laughs> and period. not getting distracted by netflix which i think that's is, right is yeah. your, <laughs> your biggest achievement <laughs> yeah. getting distracted sometimes definitely <laughs> yeah and layla do you do you find that you write in a similar way you you have a set amount of time per day or words or do you just come and go to your writing yeah um i don't know if you have children but yeah the big difference is that i have two two children two small children my my daughter is two and my my son is seven so the problem is that my children live in my house and they disturb <laughs> me a lot so i have to steal time if i want to if i want to write so i write during the night and i write when my son is at school so it's more and more difficult now that I have children to find time to to write. And also the problem is that when you have some success with a book, you have to travel a lot and yeah. answer a lot of interviews. And the more people consider you as a writer and the less you write. So that's a paradox and that's a terrible paradox that makes me suffer a lot, uh, actually, because mm. sometimes I would want people just to forget about me and let me write. But at the same time... I have a lot of gratitude because I'm lucky enough to have success with my book. So it's difficult. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle, almost, yes, exactly. isn't it? You yeah. know of that. Um, and of course, Lullaby was a was a very big big hit for you over here, wasn't it? So you probably were over here in in France and around yeah, the world. Yeah, exactly. It was translated in forty two countries, well, forty two languages. Few, isn't it? Yeah. Quite so <laughs> uh, last year, I think that I traveled in twenty countries, and yeah, it took me a lot of time and always answering the same questions <laughs> and trying, of course, to be nice and generous. And it's not easy. I, I missed a lot writing and being alone and mm -hmm. uh, thinking about something else also because that book, I finished it a long time before. And that's very difficult to speak of a book for like two years or two years in a in a house. Yeah, because I'm going to be asking you about Adele. And of course, yeah. as we said earlier, it's, it's four years old in your head, right? You know, maybe five years old. So to go back to that must be must be quite strange, especially if you're already working on something brand new that you're in the middle of. Yeah, I but always think that. I must say that I'm very happy today not to speak of nannies and children and <laughs> all that. It's and speaking about sex. It's refreshing for me. <laughs> the author Maggie O'Farrell once told me that when she was writing um, one of her last novels, her child came into the room with this sort of balled up scrap of paper or you know with his like slobber all over it or whatever and went oh 
all gone. And she said, what's gone? And she went into her study and he just ripped all these post-its off of the wall. This was her whole story arc. This is her whole plot. Half eaten them, half chewed them, half scrunched them. Oh, my God. But I can understand that because, you know, children, they get very jealous of this activity. For them, it's very difficult because they... They see that they don't own their mother and mom is somewhere else. Even if I'm with him, he knows that I'm obsessed with my characters. I'm obsessed with something else. And I think that it takes uh, a lot of time and of discussion to explain to your son, yes, that's true. I'm not completely with you mm. because I'm building something. I'm writing a story and you have to make them proud of that and try to share it with them because um, I can completely understand that a child would feel excluded and would feel that he's lonely and I don't understand what mom is doing. It's not like mom going to the office or mom working outside. Mom is here. She's just here, but she doesn't want me to be with her. So it's very violent mm. for, for a child to understand that. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about Adele, the character who sort of explodes onto the scene in page one very shortly. Back to you very quickly, Stacey, though, because um, we mentioned Pendle and the witch trial and your fascination with it. How did you weave that into the familiars? Well, I think I always saw the Pendle witches as kind of a a collective, because um, where I grew up, it's a little bit like the Salem of the Northwest. So the local bus service is called the Witch Way, and there are sort of tourist shops with life-size witches set outside selling all sorts of memorabilia and stuff. So I never had really thought about them as people, I don't think, just more of these like caricatures, almost like Disney-fied mm witches and it was only when I started to research them um that they that their individual individual voices came through and because there was 12 of them I thought I can't write a, a novel about 12 people that's too many so I decided I thought I'll choose one of them to focus on and Alice Gray who was accused of witchcraft um was one of the Pendle witches she stood out to me for reasons that I won't go into because it'll be a bit of a spoiler but when I was doing my research. Um, there's a book that was published in 1612 called The Wonderful Discovery of Witches in the County of Lancaster, which was basically the trial transcript um, made public because mm. people had people were obsessed with witches. So this was under the rule of King James I, um, who hated witches, hated Catholics, and there was this real appetite for hunting them down, which was why the book was so popular. So everything the witches said in court, well, actually, they didn't say it in court. It was Their confessions were read out in court. So these were confessions they'd made previously to the magistrate. Yeah. Um, that's when all their individual stories started to come through. And I was just sort of blown away by the different accusations because there were so many of them. They, they were accusing each other. They were accusing neighbours. They were saying that they had familiar spirits. They were saying that they'd murdered people and... It was a lot of noise to sift through and Alice Gray stood out to me because she there was only one line about her in the whole in the whole transcript, which was that she uh, murdered a child with her friend Catherine Hewitt and she pled not guilty. So I thought because there's the least information about her, she was the sort of the most fiction rich one for me because mm -hmm. I could just imagine I could just make up her backstory. Yeah, of course, because you've got not much to go on. Exactly, let's not ex much to let's go expand on. Expand yeah. this character, which uh -huh. is the fun of it as well. In Absolutely, terms of being yeah. a writer. Yeah. yeah. Leila, Adele is quite a shocking read 
in places. You know, I think you, you write this way. You write quite raw prose. It's a lot of these issues that might not otherwise be written about. Could you just tell us a little bit about Adele, her character? Because from, as I said, from the beginning of the book, we sort of get an idea of who she is, don't we? Yes, of course. But you know, I think that everyone is shocking if he says the truth. We are not shocking just because we lie and because we do as if we were nice people. But the truth is we are all shocking in, inside. Uh, Adele is a young woman. She's 25. She's a journalist in Paris. She's married to a man called Richard, who is a doctor, a successful doctor. And they have a, a child called Lucien, who is three years and three years and a half. And as a lot of people say, she has it all. She has a big apartment in a nice neighborhood in, in Paris, and she is supposed to be happy, but she is not. She is disappointed by motherhood. She finds motherhood very difficult and tedious. She finds her husband very boring, her job too. And the only thing that she wants is to be desired, is to be wanted, is to be fucked to be taken, to be an object. And so she has a lot of uh, intercourse with men that she mostly doesn't know and some men who are regular lovers. And so she's running after something and we don't really know what and she doesn't know what she's looking for, but she's having sex all the time and that's the only thing that's uh, helping her to to survive. It's interesting you say that earlier about, you know, it's it's the truth as opposed to and me referring to it as shocking. And I think that's a really interesting point that you don't always see it on the page is what I mean. And for you to, you know, just bring that to the surface, maybe that's just not what we're used to. I don't know, maybe it's a UK publishing thing. But um, for me, it just it just grabbed me instantly and it made me think, wow, you know, this author's saying something here. Yeah, you know, that's I think that's because I decided to be a writer because... I hate the fact that I have to wear a mask in real life. So when I'm in my office, I can put this mask off and say all that I think and say the truth and be violent and be cruel and be crude and be non-politically correct. So that's my uh, space of freedom. So I want to use it completely because I don't see the point of writing if it's not for saying all that I think. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> Stacey, with, with The Familiars, you touch on an issue specifically with your with your lead character, Fleetwood, about, you know, it's sort of a, a, if you can't get pregnant as a woman, then, you know, you, what's the point? You know, that's what you're there for. Mm -hmm. Obviously, set in the 17th century, as you said, very different attitudes then. But in some ways, would you say there's a there's resonance here today of, of what you're writing about? Yeah, for sure. I mean you know, still motherhood and fertility is, it's still very prescient and at the front of, I think, every woman's mind at some point in her life, whether she decides that she wants children or not. Mm. And in the familiars at that time, your fertility was literally your currency. You were married off as a virgin and then you were under this enormous pressure to produce heirs, not even, not even daughters, just sons. And if you failed at that, then you were a failure. And I think, I think even to this day, a lot of women who would love to have children and can't, there's still that feel, there's still that feeling of failure mm -hmm. around fertility. Um, 
but Fleetwood's so young, like she's only 17, she's had three miscarriages and she's under this enormous pressure to give her husband what he married her for. She has one job. Um, like women had one one role in life at that time, whether they were rich or poor. If you were rich, you had children to secure the family line and secure the estates and the finances. And mm. if you were poor, it was to, you know, populate the farmyard and help feed the pigs and milk the cows and things. So, yeah, that was very much your currency in life. In a moment, we're going to do the book off. This is where each of you have three minutes to pitch us a book, not one of your own. This is one that you think everyone should read that you love. Uh, and we will get to that shortly. But I just wondered, just as a little tease, which books each of you have brought to put in to the book of Stacey, which one have you brought for us? So I brought The Ruby in the Smoke by Philip Pullman. The Ruby in the Smoke. A Philip Pullman that I don't know, I must say. Yes. I'm unaware of that one. And Leila, which one have you brought? Uh, the Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera. Aha, another. How do you say that surname? Kundera. 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 Yeah. Great, because I would have, I would have butchered that. So, so I'm glad you said it. <laughs> um, we will get to that very shortly, and we'll put three minutes on the clock for both of you. I was interested in t talking earlier off off mic before we got in about a journalist who has has written a piece recently, quite a visceral piece and quite a seemingly personal piece. Um, and as as you're both journalists, it's just interesting to find out what your thoughts are at the moment about journalism in general or in in France versus the UK and are we in a good place what do you think's happening in terms of the way that we're writing and consuming journalism? you know now in France it's a very difficult time for a journalist I don't know uh, how is it here but um, since the yellow vest manifestation demonstration began there were a lot and a lot of attacks and um, uh, molesting journalists uh, then people have the feeling that journalists are liars and that journalists don't want to say the truth and that journalists are with the government and that they are uh, like in sort of a complicity with them to dominate people so there is a lot of um, what we call complotism I don't know if you say that the in the theory of uh, of, uh, of complot they think that everyone is trying to manipulate them so now um, I think that there is not a lot of trust towards journalists and that's uh, that's a shame because uh, that's more and more fake news and people believing lies real mm. lies and now what is really a, a scandal and something that has outraged me is that you hear people in politics on the radio and on television lying, really lying, and you know that they lie, but people believe them and mm. they vote for them. And I think it's really it's terrible for our democracy to see that and to witness that. And of course, in looking overseas towards America, where yeah. journalists are getting thrown out, of conferences just because they've asked the wrong question you know this is that, that's something that's a that very maybe bad moment for journalists I and you think, think yeah. maybe there's there's a bit of that in the yeah in, in france unfortunately yes what about here i mean i know you're not sort of writing the frontline news uh, yeah. journalism but just <laughs> just as someone who's who's comes from that background yeah well i work in women's magazines um and i do feel very lucky to still have a job in women's magazines because it kind of feels like the the axe is dangling over us all at the moment. Um, it seems like there's closures every week at this rate. So, yeah, I do feel very lucky to still work in it. And I think, I don't know, I don't get so much grief about being a journalist because I know it is kind of up there with estate agents in terms of being um, mistrusted, but <laughs> um, there's nothing against estate agents. But, 
yeah, women, women's magazines is a really nice, it's a lovely industry to work in. Hmm. It's great. It's really supportive. Um, I love all the women that I work with. So I, I feel really lucky to still have a job in journalism. Hmm. I've started recently um, paying money online when I'm reading articles because I've noticed quite a lot more publications saying to me, you know, look, here it here it is. We know you're reading it. Could you give us a little bit of something if you're not going to go buy the the paper or the you know the magazine? Mm-hmm. Um, and for for months, for years, maybe I was just going la 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 la. I just yeah. want to read this one thing. I don't. Um, and now I've actually gone no wait because if I didn't have this, if I didn't have this particular outlet, then I'd be really annoyed. I'd be upset. So I've started just paying money to that because I think it's so important. And we're losing. You know, I've seen the the prices of the particular paper I read going up, and 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 yet you know all this all this bad sort of energy towards journalism and it's just a bit bit of a weird time yeah 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 like people it seems like people want to people want to consume news for free don't they but you would never think that you could just walk into a starbucks and get a coffee for free would you no Um, but but also to use a starbucks analogy maybe i want i want to be able to read good solid news mm -hmm. like i want to be able to drink good solid coffee yeah. uh-huh. so i wouldn't go to starbucks for that but you know <laughs> i would i would expect that my news is going to be well researched and that i'm trusting of the the people who are writing it and of course the, we're going down a maybe a slightly slippery road here where that's not going to be the case you know as you've alluded yeah, to and you know, know i was a reporter for five years and it's very difficult i was a reporter in africa and in my journal they, in my newspaper they didn't have money it was very difficult for them to buy a ticket for me to go to africa and travel there and uh spend money for a hotel and everything all it, it costs money to, yeah. to find the good uh, information and to investigate and to interview people you need to you, you need to spend some some money to have good uh, good information and that's very difficult and the other thing is the power of communication now if you want to interview uh politics you have to deal with the publicist and the publicist is going to tell you she says that or he yeah. says that and that's it and you're like no please no 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 he says that and that's it you don't really have real conversation with with people they they talk for hours before with the publicist and he said use this word use this expression and that's it so that's also the problem you get, as a journalist i got tired of this i was like okay you're not playing the game you're not telling me the truth. It's just like a sort of manipulation, and I hated that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Because you're not looking them in the eyes either, you know, and there is so much to be said for face-to-face the reaction to a question or whatever, which you just don't get from yeah. a, a sentence that's already been spewed out. You know? So are you reporting still or are you not really doing much of that? Yes, a little bit. Um, I did uh, some in, in Morocco during the, mm. the last years, but that's it. Just a, just a little bit less yeah. than before. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the world of women's magazines, we hope, will continue. <laughs> to thrive. <laughs> to thrive, <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> We're going to do um, the three-minute pictures very shortly. But now I thought what I'd just get you to do, I haven't even prepped you for this, so this will be fun, is to do your elevator pitch on each of your books as well. Because we talked a little bit about each of your novels, but it would be good if I just had a a summation for people listening who perhaps haven't picked up Adele or The Familiars yet, uh, just to get a a bit more of an idea. So how would you summarise Adele, Layla, in just a few sentences? Um, Adèle is the story of Adèle Robinson, a young uh, Parisian woman, journalist, married, a mother of a young child, who is um, also a sex addict. And she has a secret life, trying to hide this life to keep it a secret from her husband and her colleagues. But at the beginning of the book, we understand that it's not going to be a secret for a very long time. Dot, dot, dot. Very good. <laughs> and how did you find working with Sam, your translator? Oh, it was really nice because he understands completely the kind of atmosphere I want to, to build. And it was very funny for this book because um, there are a lot of sex scenes in the book, very yes, crude, very are. clinical. But in French and in English, we don't have the same vocabulary to describe sex. And in French, you can um, describe the genitals just by saying le sex the mm-hmm. sex of the man or the mm-hmm. sex of the woman but in English you can't so he sent me long emails asking me okay should I use vagina or vulva <laughs> or dick or penis so we spent hours speaking of that so now we feel very intimate with each other because we have the feeling that we spoke so much about dick and vulva that we are very good friends yeah that's a, that's, a, that's quite an easy way yeah. to you know break down to any break barriers ice, yeah. but we should mention Sam Sam Taylor who yeah, yeah, he's done a, a brilliant translation yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and and now to you, Stacey, uh, if you could sum up, summarise the familiars in just a few sentences. Yeah. So the familiars is set during the Pendle Witch Trials of 1612, and it follows two women, one of whom is um, a 17-year-old noblewoman who is pregnant after suffering three stillbirths. She desperately wants a child. She finds a midwife called Alice Gray. And Alice Gray is then caught up in the accusations of witchcraft that are sweeping Lancashire at the time. So the two lives become entwined and they realise that they need each other to survive. Dot, dot, dot. Very <laughs> good. I, I read um, a book called The Buried Giant by Kazuo Shiguru quite a while ago when it came out. And it's about these two people on a journey. And it had a sense of, of a mist. You know, he talks about the mist in in the book and part of the story. But... The actual writing, I felt, had this sort of atmosphere about it. And I, f- I felt that about yours as well, Stacey, that there was this sort of... I couldn't describe what it was. If I had to say it was a colour, it would probably be grey and it would be a bit misty. 
And I just wondered if you were conscious of that or if that was because you're smiling now. I don't know if, if other people have said that, but there was this feeling feeling of that, even though you never really describe it. Yeah, no, that's great to hear um, because I'm from the area and I grew up there. It's so entrenched in me and I wrote it. I live in London. I wrote it in London. And I think the fact that you feel like you're transported there means I've done my job because that's what I want to do, just put you in the story with yeah. the landscape and the moors and the, and the green and the damp and the mist and the grey skies and the time. And so, yeah, that's a big compliment. Okay, good. I'm glad. <laughs> Nothing worse than when you start to ask a question and you see the author's mouth just sort of turn into <laughs> complete shock as if to say, what do you, what do you mean? My book's grey. <laughs> grey. <laughs> no, it's, very, it's a very, very grey part of the world. So it is a very grey right. part yeah. of the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, to the book off then, um, we have to decide who goes first, who goes second. We have to decide who gets uh, the bell and who gets the horn, as it were. So, um, Leila, would you like to go first or second for your pitch? Um, I, I don't care, as you want. If you, you don't mind? You, have don't you got a preference? Either. Oh, goodness, right, okay. Well, let's give you the option of which which um, of these you'd like uh, then. The, you want, you want yeah, the bell, yeah. okay. That means you're going to get that. Okay. And uh, how about you go first then, Stacey? I'll right? go first. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to put three minutes on the clock now. And you don't have to use all three if you mm -hmm. come in under the wire. But as soon as we get to that three-minute mark, I'm going to be uh, honking you out. Okay? Okay. Uh, so it's three minutes to tell us why we should all read uh, The Ruby and the Smoke by Philip Pullman. So The Ruby and the Smoke is, I would say, my favourite book. I read it every year religiously. I read it for the first time as a teenager and it's part of a series, the, the Sally Lock, a Sally Lockhart mystery. Um, so I think there's four in the series altogether and it's just so transportative. It's so atmospheric. They're all set in Victorian London and they follow a young heroine called Sally Lockhart who's about 16 and I would really like to read if I'm allowed the first paragraph um, because this just, just transports you straight there. On a cold, fretful afternoon in early October 1872, a hansom cab drew up outside the offices of Lockhart and Selby shipping agents in the financial heart of London, and a young girl got out and paid the driver. She was a person of 16 or so, alone and uncommonly pretty. She was slender and pale, and dressed in mourning, with a black bonnet under which she tucked back a strained twist of blonde hair that the wind had teased loose. She had unusually dark brown eyes for one so fair. Her name was Sally Lockhart, and within 15 minutes, she was going to kill a man. So for me, that is one of the best first paragraphs I've ever read. Um, so it's about Sally Lockhart, who her father's just died, which makes her an orphan. And she sort of takes it upon herself to investigate his death. Um, he's a shipping agent. He died at sea. So in this first scene, she goes to his office and asks one of his colleagues what happens to him because she got a letter, an anonymous letter through the post that says, Sally, beware the seven blessings. So she goes and asks his colleague, what are the seven blessings? I've got this letter, I don't know what it means. And the colleague has a heart attack in front of her and dies. Um, so she knows something potentially dodgy is going on. And it's really immersive. It's just set in this really rich landscape of Victorian London. There's a stolen ruby in it. Um that was stolen during the Indian mutiny. There's a creepy old woman called Mrs. Holland who follows Sally all over London because she Sally's got something she wants, but Sally doesn't quite know what it is. Um, and it kind of goes between the opium dens of Wapping and Bohemian Bloomsbury. 
and it's just so atmospheric and for me reading fiction is total escapism I just want to be taken straight to where it is and I don't want to leave it until I finished and for me that's what all the Sally Lockhart books do um, they just take you straight there and you don't want to leave <laughs> fantastic <laughs> that, you had finished then right I'd finished okay yeah. <laughs> you brought you brought it into such a natural end with 20 seconds to go yeah. um wow fabulous thank you for that I haven't read it obviously now I want to read all of them but we'll come. We'll yeah, come back to, to, ask, to ask more questions about it. Is it is it YA or is it? Uh, um, I think. Well, this one, this one seems to be marketed YA, mm. but for me, it's not. No, I read. I read it as a young adult, and I guess it could be because she's sixteen. But I mean, my heroine is seventeen, and yeah. mine's not YA. And so yeah. And also, I think. I mean, it's a term we use, isn't it, young adult in, it is, in yeah. publishing? But it could really, be, and it could not be. Yeah. yeah. It, do, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't really doesn't make any difference. Be. Uh, right, I'll ask you a few more questions about that in a minute, Stacey. But for your three minutes now, Layla, um, and you, I'm going to put that on the clock, three minutes on the clock, to tell us about the unbearable lightness of being. Over to you. Um, the unbearable lightness of being is a book by Milan Kundera. He's a French Czech writer, and he wrote this book in the 80s. I remember the first time I read the book. It was in Morocco, in the house my parents had near the beach during the, the holidays. And I think at that time my mother hid the book because she didn't want me to, to read the book. And I found it and I read it. And I remember that I was really sexually aroused by the book because it's very erotic. And the, the, the images and the description of uh, the sex scenes are extraordinary fascinating this is the story of a man called thomas and he's sort of a womanizer he's a doctor and he has a lot and a lot of love affairs and one day he he feels he falls in love with a woman called teresa and he's not faithful to her he cheats on her all the time but at the same time he's conscious that he's completely in love with her and he wants to make her happy but that's very difficult for him to have a wife and stay at home and do what she wants him to to do and then they leave um, the Czech Republic because this is the the spring of Prague this is the end of the the 60s and they decide to go to Switzerland and this is the book has a very original structure because it is at the same time a love story it is uh, like an essay because it's also a philosophical novel and um, I think that the books ask the question of loyalty and it is a question that is very interesting and important for me how what it is to be loyal to someone what it is to be loyal to a country to a regime I had to go away from my country and to um, I, I live in France and I left Morocco and very often I ask myself what it is to be loyal to my uh, my culture and to my origin. And I think also that the characters in The Unbearable Lightness of Being are unforgettable. You will never forget Teresa, you will never forget Thomas and the dog of Teresa is also a very important character. She has a dog called Karenine because she's reading the, the, the Tolstoy's book, Anna Karenin, when he offers her the, the dog. And there is a chapter about the death of the dog and the sadness that she feels when this dog dies. And you will never, never forget the, this scene about, uh, about Karenin. This is a, a wonderful, a fascinating book. 
I'll ring you out anyway, even though you you again you had about fifteen seconds to go. It's brilliant. It's like you like you both planned it or something. Um, wow, two brilliant pictures, and I must say I'm just sort of in, just engrossed with both of those. And um, going back to you, Stacey, to to Philip, um, just an out, outstanding writer. I mean, just one of the, the nicest, best. the uh-huh. best, the best, um, an incredible writer, a, a wonderful man, just a brilliant imagination. Um, having read, you know, his dark materials and mm. and and lots of the, the newer stuff that he's done, but not this series. You really sold it to me. That paragraph alone, I can see why you you read it, <laughs> uh, just to really grab us. And I love your point about true escapism. I think maybe for fiction, that's that is what I'm after too. You just want to be transported somewhere else, don't you? To to be able to read without having to think too much. Um, and Layla, you you just sort of summed up that book so brilliantly and and the way that you talked about the characters but also it, it's sort of a love story come essays come sort of psychological sort of yeah. study almost you know in, in it's this unique one book. it's completely unique very unique yeah. exactly you can't compare it to nothing and so charged as well um which makes me feel i could be wrong that it, it had a big effect on your writing as well yeah, perhaps yeah yeah, yeah. Which it's so which you can sort and of and it's see. a big inspiration for adele because mm. adele is obsessed with this book too yeah and this this idea of loyalty, actually, which you mentioned to to someone, to a country, you know, that could be said for Adele, yeah. right? This loyalty. Which, is she loyal to her child and husband by the fact that she's having all these... And to herself. Pairs, but to herself as well, exactly. I have read The Unbearable Lightness of Being. I haven't read The Philip Pullman, The Ruby and The Smoke. I'm definitely going to go and get it. But I've got to take one home mm-hmm. and I've got to base it on the picture. So today I'm going to take home The Unbearable Lightness of Being, I think. You win, Leila. Okay, thank you. <laughs> well done. You had me at uh, erotically charged, I think. That's so probably what it was. But they're both both brilliant pictures and both brilliant books that you have published recently. Adele and the Familiars, thank you so much both for, for coming and joining me and for these fabulous books. We wish you all the best thank with you. your first but now second yes. book, Leila, and uh, Stacey with your debut novel, which is your debut novel here and it everywhere is else, everywhere. isn't it? Uh-huh. Um, the Familiars by Stacey Halls is published by Bonnier and Adele by Leila Slimani is published by Faber. Both books are available now. Thank you so much for Thank joining. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 